Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. One of the toughest mindsets to break out of in Christian living is to stop doing things to earn our salvation. John has identified that sometimes followers of Christ, in working on their holiness, would rather be taught what to do and how to do than be comforted with the gospel often. Some gospel-centered good news is on the way today. This message comes to us from the Gospel Mystery of Sanctification series, and it's called Three Problems with the Deeds Over Creeds Mentality. Here's John with part one. What is the goal of this current series? The whole goal of the entire series is to teach you how to obey God's moral law. It's to teach you how to be a lawkeeper. It's to teach you how to pursue holiness. It's to teach you how to obey. Um, and so you've heard this morning God's moral law summarized for you from Christ in Matthew 22. Love God with your whole heart, soul, and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. We're called to do this. This isn't a suggestion. It's not a nice, you know, uh, well, maybe I will, maybe I won't. We are called to obey and keep God's law. Uh, but often I hear folks say something like this. Well, we, we, we can't obey. We can't obey God's law. It's such a lofty goal. It's impossible. Now, to be sure, those who are converted, even the holiest believers in this life, right, uh, while in this life have a very small beginning of disobedience, but nevertheless, with earnest purpose, we can as believers, um, and we do begin to live not only according to some, but to all of God's commandments. So the question is this, how do we do that? How do we obey how do we live the way of life that the Bible calls holiness, righteousness, godliness, obedience, and true religion? And so that's what I'm going to be teaching you. But before we get to that, there's something very, very important that we need to emphasize. Too often, people make the mistake of skipping over the how to become holy, how to become obedient, because they only want to know what they have to do. This common mistake is a cry for more law and no gospel. And I can tell you over, you know, over the years of teaching and sharing and trying to ground people in a gospel-centered view, a, a grace-driven view of life and how to obey, I've had people come to me and say, would you please just give me more law? I actually had one person say, quit preaching the gospel and just give me something to do. The gospel tells us what God has done for us and how he has freed us to obey. But the law tells us what we are to do, but the law doesn't tell us how we're able to do it. So what people say, really saying is this, don't give me gospel, just give me the law. Don't tell me what has been done for me, just tell me what to do and I will do it. Don't give me a bunch of theology and doctrine, the gospel, just give me something that is practical for my life. 
This mistake of skipping over how we obey is illustrated by a famous preacher called Rick Warren, a Southern Baptist preacher in California. And he gave a famous address in, uh, at the Baptist World Alliance in 2005. And his address was Deeds Not Creeds. And I want you to listen to how Michael Horton explains his address. Michael Horton says that the first Reformation, the 16th century Reformation, which we're about to celebrate in the month of October, the first Reformation was about God and the gospel of his son. It was centered on the justification of sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Robert Schuller wrote Self-Esteem, the New Reformation in the 1990s. In 2005, Rick Warren announced at the Baptist World Alliance meeting that a new reformation based on deeds, not creeds. As he explained in his interview, Rick Warren said, quote, I'm looking for a second reformation. The first reformation of the church 500 years ago was about beliefs, creeds. This reformation is going to be about behavior, The first one was about creeds. This one is going to be about deeds. It is not going to be about what the church believes, but it's going to be about what the church is doing. Now, the default cry of the fallen human heart says deeds, not creeds. Many people think the how creeds, doctrine, gospel, is irrelevant and useless. Oh, don't give me a bunch of doctrine. Don't, don't, don't tell me a bunch of theology. Just tell me what to do. This mentality is perfectly illustrated in our culture by the famous Nike slogan, just do it. Walter Marshall, in his book, The Gospel Mystery Sanctification, in the 17th century, was lamenting over the legal preaching that was prevalent in his day of deeds, not creeds. And so he asked the question, why do people make this common mistake of skipping the how and only wanting to know what they are to do? And listen to what he said in the 17th century. He says, there are people who only want to know what they have to do that they only want to know what the law requires of them. They think that once they know what the law requires of them, they can just go out and do it. That's Nike, just do it. He says, so they will just blindly rush into it and immediately try to do everything they are told. However, they will run hard, but they will get nowhere. He says, they will make many promises to obey God, just like the Israelites of old told the Lord in Exodus 19, verse 8. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And have you read the book of Numbers lately? They didn't do anything, right? Um, So he says, what is the problem He says, the problem is that these folks never think about what will enable them and empower them to obey God. So with this in mind, I want to give you three basic problems with the deeds, not creeds mentality. This this common mistake of skipping over the how for just tell me what to do and I'll go do it. 
All right, so here are three common basic problems with that mentality, deeds not creeds. First, a deeds not creeds mentality rests on the mistaken belief that holy living is a means to an end. You see, moralists have never been satisfied with having good works as being the fruit and result of saving faith. That's what we looked at in catechism class this morning. That's what we studied about how fruits are the evidence. Works are the, good works are the evidence. It is the fruit of saving faith. But moralists will have good works as part of faith, not only in justification, but for their final entrance into glory, into heaven. You see, moralists say, okay, well, maybe if you get in by grace, but you're going to complete yourself by your works. And so moralists are not happy with good works as being evidential. Moralists want to make good works instrumental, the means by which you save yourself. And so moralists view holiness as a way to earn eternal life. Again, back in the 17th century, as Walter Marshall was dealing with this problem, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Uh, He notes that most people, when they begin to have a sense about religion, say, like the rich young man who came up to Jesus, what good thing shall I do so that I can obtain eternal life? He says they do not ask the, the, the question that they should be asking. How can I be empowered and enabled to do anything that is good? You see, moralists do not see holiness as an end in itself. Moralists are not satisfied with good works as being the evidence of faith, as a good and necessary consequence of faith. Moralists want to make good works the means by and through which salvation is accomplished. And this is what Marshall says about that. He says, holiness is not is not a means to an end. Your, your good works do not save you. Holiness is part of the end itself. And then he quotes Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You were saved in order to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Good works do not achieve salvation. Good works are the fruits and result of saving faith. So good works do not make faith what it is. The fruit demonstrates what the tree is, right? The fruit is evidence that the tree is alive. This is what Article 12 that we looked at this morning in catechism class from the 39 Articles clearly states about the proper and necessary consequence of good works. It says, although good works, listen, which are the fruits of faith and follow on after justification, not before can never atone for our sins or face the strict justice of God's judgment, but they are nevertheless pleasing and acceptable to God in Christ and necessarily spring from a true and lively faith. And so it says, thus a living faith is as plainly known by its good works as a tree is known by its fruit. It's exactly right. So that's the first mistake that is made about deeds and not creeds mentality is that uh, holiness is not a means to an end. Second, 
This is the second problem with this deeds, not creeds mentality. Many pastors contribute to this deeds, not creeds mentality because they separate the law from the gospel. They separate the law from the gospel. Uh, Zacharias Rosinus, who was the author of the Heidelberg Catechism, when he wrote his commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism, he opens up in the very first sentence of the first paragraph of his commentary, and he says, the pure and unadulterated doctrine of the church is the law and gospel. And then he asks, what is the word of God? And he says, it is either law or gospel. But many pastors contribute to this this deeds, not creeds mentality because by separating the law from the gospel. And so again, Walter Marshall, when he is uh, bemoaning the legal preachers of his day in the 17th century, listen to what he said about legal preachers of his day in the church. He said, these preachers spend all their time telling people what the law requires of them. They tell people all that they have to do, but they never spend any time telling their people how they can actually do it. They never tell people about the means to attain true obedience to the law. They look at righteous living as if it were manual labor, where you need no training or skill whatsoever. They consider holy living just a matter of putting your nose to the grindstone and doing it. You see, that kind of legal preaching in the 17th century that was true in Marshall's day is true in our day. Uh, Just go visit your, your local Christian bookstore and go to the Christian living section. It's the biggest section in the bookstores. And these books abound with keys and steps and principles and secrets for living the Christian life. Most of these Christian living books assume the gospel at best, and what they do is major on telling people what they need to be doing with little to no regard for how they can actually do it. Um, In his book, Preaching the Whole Gospel as Christian Scripture, uh, Graham Goldsworthy, he's my favorite contemporary Anglican uh, theologian. He's uh, from uh, Sydney, Australia. He makes this simple yet vital observation about that kind of legal preaching, deeds, not creeds mentality. He says, exhortations without the gospel are legalistic. Exhortations without the gospel are legalistic. He then goes on in his book to make some incredibly important points about this kind of legal preaching, and he explains why he explains the attraction of legal preaching in the church. Why do people just want to hear keys and steps and principles and secrets to the victorious Christian life and successful marriages and perfect happy children and on and on and it goes? Why do they flock to this? What is the attraction to that kind of legal preaching? Before he tells a story, he says that preaching in the right manner does involve exhortation because the Bible is filled with exhortation. The Bible is filled with law, right? We believe in preaching the first use of the law and the third use of the law. No, we don't turn the third use of the law into a covenant of works, which many people do, but we preach that. He says, but the problem is when pastors divorce the exhortations of the law from the gospel and preach what he 
terms, naked law, exhortations without gospel. And he shares this story from one of his colleagues who would express the conviction that congregations, he says, seem to quote, almost have a masochistic approach to preaching. And listen to how he describes it. If the preacher really told them what a hopeless bunch they were and what they need to do about it, or if he really laid down the law about how they needed to improve their spiritual lives and performance, they would come away feeling really good, battered and bruised, but good. And then he asked the question, why do we like to be given this kind of treatment? What is the attraction to this kind of legal preaching? Why do we like deeds, not creeds? Why do we like just do it? I did a Google search. You can do it yourself and you'll see it'll come up page after page after page. Why do we like five keys to a successful marriage? Why do we like seven keys to victorious Christian living? Just do a Google search on those two phrases and you'll get page after page. Books and sermons after sermons. What is the attraction, he says, of this kind of legal preaching? Goals were the answers. He says, I suggest that we love this kind of treatment because we are legalists at heart. We would love to be able to say that we have fulfilled all kinds of conditions, be they tearing, surrendering fully, getting rid of every known sin so that God might truly bless us. It is a constant temptation to want to take our spiritual pulse and to apply the sanctificational barometer. And so just like Walter Marshall in the 17th century, Goldsworthy writing about how pastors contribute to this problem of deeds, not creeds, and the Nike, just do it. This is what he says. He says, the preacher can aid and abet this legalistic tendency that is the heart of sin within all of us. All we have to do as preachers is to emphasize our humanity, our obedience, our faithfulness, our surrender to God, and so on. If we constantly tell people what they should do, deeds, not creeds, in order to get their lives in order, he says we place a terrible legalistic burden on them. Of course we should obey God. Of course we should love God with all our heart and all our mind and all our soul and all our strength. The Bible tells us to do these things. Says, but if we ever give the impression that it is possible to do this on our own, not only do we make the gospel irrelevant, but we suggest that the law is in fact a lot weaker in its demands than it really is. Legalism demeans the law by reducing its standards to the level of our competence. You see that. Not love God perfectly, love your neighbor perfectly in thought, word, and deed every split second of your existence. Just lower that standard a little bit and accomplish it. And then you say, huh, I did it. He says, in practical terms, if we as preachers lay down the marks of the spiritual Christian or the mature church or the godly parent or the obedient child or the caring pastor or the responsible elder or the wise church leader, And if we do this in a way that implies that conformity is simply a matter of understanding and being obedient, 
He says that we're being legalists and we risk undoing the very thing we want to build up. We may achieve the outward semblance of conformity to the biblical pattern, but we do it at the expense of the gospel of grace that alone can produce the reality of these desirable goals. To say what we should be or do, deeds, and not link it with a clear exposition of what God has done about our failure to be or do perfectly as he wills, creeds, is to reject the grace of God. It is to lead people to lust after self-help and self-approvement. Give me keys, give me steps, give me principles, give me secrets in a way that is to call a spade a spade godless. Godless preaching in the church. He's exactly right. And so separating the law from the gospel, giving exhortations without the gospel is a very common mistake. You have to know what the law exhorts you to do, but you also have to first sit down and learn how you can actually do it. Here's the third problem with deeds, not creeds mentality. A deeds, not creeds mentality fails to understand the doctrine of original sin. And this is the most important point I'm going to make this morning. Why do you have to learn how to actually keep and obey the law of God before you actually do so? The answer is the doctrine of original sin. The doctrine of original sin, which is the bondage of the will, this doctrine is the basis for everything I'm about to say and everything that I will say for the rest of this entire series. It's vital that you get this. So what is original sin? Original sin does not refer primarily to the first or original sin committed by Adam. Original sin refers to the result of the first sin of Adam. It is the entire corruption of the entire human race. It is the fallen condition into which we are all born. Article 9 in the 39 Articles has a very long definition, so we're not going to look at it this morning. But it nails the doctrine of original sin perfectly. It teaches that, listen, we are all sinners in Adam. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says this. He says that we have all sinned because sin entered the world through Adam. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says... Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, all humanity comes into existence into a state of sinfulness. This is what David laments in Psalm 51. He's lamenting this fallen condition in which he is born. Listen to what he says. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, my mother conceived me. And so this is what original sin teaches. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. And so by reason of the fall, not only Adam and Eve, but all humanity fell from their original righteousness and became dead in sin. 
And not only that, but their entire faculty, body and soul, is completely wholly defiled in sin, in this fallen condition of original sin. This is what Paul teaches in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. He says, there is none righteous, there's not even one, there is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned away, together they have become useless, there is none who does good, there's not even one. And so because of this original sin, because this is true, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, that all people are unwilling and unable to obey God. That's, that's the key. Because of this original sin, all people come into this world unwilling and unable to obey God. He says that the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is part one of three problems with the deeds over creeds mentality, and it's from the Gospel Mystery of Sanctification Study. More coming up on Him We Proclaim next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday, and it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time 